And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It is, of course, hump day. That means that, uh, well, whenever you're in the middle of the week and you're really just kind of grinding through to get through the week, right? I mean, just it's hump day. You got to have Danny Ratliff on the show. So, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, Problem solved. <laughs> exactly. So, Danny will be joining us where we got a few things to get into. Like, for instance, uh, does it look like your retirement savings, uh, do they look like Bernie Madoff got a hold of them? Uh, today is actually uh, July 14th. This is the day he started serving his 150-year prison sentence. Um, so, just a date and anniversary. But the point is, is there's actually an article out for boomers saying, well, if you haven't saved enough, you know, maybe should you think about cryptocurrency? And it looks like, you know, this whole uh, kind of mania phase of the market's now starting to filter through as people try to play catch up with their savings, right? It's like, hey, I'm behind the curve. I haven't saved enough. You know, I I need to take more risk, right? And and we get these emails quite often. Uh, I get emails probably two or three times a week from individuals going, look, I'm way behind the curve for saving for retirement. You know, I'm being really aggressive in the market. What do you think? Well, I think it's going to be fine until it's not. And then you're going to be further behind the curve uh, than you are now. And this is always the problem with you know, with gambling in the markets. And look, this is how Bernie Madoff made his fortune. Um, a good friend of ours, Tom Ajame, who's a attorney, and we've had him on the show in the past and uh, just a great guy, but he represents a lot of, of individuals that have lost money to brokerage firms, etc. Um, telling me stories about when Bernie Madoff was, you know, kind of in his prime. Um, he had clients calling him after the fact, and, and one guy called him out of, I think it was uh, Iowa at the time, or Idaho, one of those kind of Midwest states, and uh, had sent Bernie Madoff $5 million um, to invest. So kind of a rich farmer, right? And well, after everything kind of went belly up, um, he wanted to sue to try to get some of his money back. and. Tom asked him, he says, well, you know, how, you know, where's your paperwork, you know, for, you know, opening the account with Bernie? He says, I don't have any. He says, well, you know, well, where's the, uh, you know, can you give me your documents for your correspondence with Bernie Madoff? Oh, I don't have any. He says, well, how did you get money to Bernie Madoff? He says, I wrote him a check and mailed it to him. That's the problem with these types of situations. When you get to these mania type markets, um, this is what allows individuals to take advantage of others and, and, and particularly Wall Street to take advantage of investors. And this is why you see at peaks of markets, you see Wall Street coming to, you know, to market with all kinds of companies to take them public that really don't have any revenues. They're not great companies, right? But there's such a demand by individuals to invest in these companies. I gotta get money out, you know, I gotta need the next hot thing. I've gotta get on the next IPO that comes out. I gotta make, you know, I need to make a bunch of money. That's what Wall Street does. Wall Street provides you that. And, and of course, that is also a sign of exuberance in the markets. You have a record number of money-losing companies coming public right now because why? There's a demand by you to go buy them. Right. You're looking for the next Tesla. Right. So anything that comes to market now is the next Tesla. And so you want to buy it. Um, but these things tend not to work out well. And what happens with individuals, and this is repeatedly happened throughout history, 
is that, you know, they, they are doing well momentarily and then they wind up getting set even further back than they were previously when the market eventually comes apart. And it always does. This time isn't different. It may seem different because it's gone on for so long. It's been such a big run. Um, you know, it may seem quite different, but it's not. And, and, and there's kind of the old story about the, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's going to be the problem with this market ultimately is that when it ultimately collapses from its own weight, the correction will be far larger than anybody ever actually imagined it could be even with the Federal Reserve, you know, behind the scenes. So, you know, these are the things to think about. But, you know, timing of that could be next week, next month, next year, could be five years from now. Nobody knows. But there is a bit of logic and physics that kind of play into this over time. So, and again, investing is always about the value that you pay for things and, and, and what you get out of that ultimately has an important role to play. So, you know, it's interesting. I got an email yesterday talking about Dow 40,000. So, you know, we're, we talked about yesterday the Dow was very close um, within just spitting distance of hitting Dow 35,000. We talked about yesterday getting our party hats out. Party hats. Uh, party hats out yesterday. Dow 35,000. Sold off a little bit yesterday. Didn't quite get there, but uh, we're going to try it again in the next couple of days, I imagine. But this is a point. So, of course, you know, Dow 35,000, that's not nearly round enough, right? That's not nearly a round enough milestone. We now need Dow 40,000 by the end of the year. And uh, I want to tell you something. I'm, I'm writing an article on this because it was a great question. It's like, Dow 40,000, that's amazing. That's amazing, Dow 40,000, right? Um, that's actually quite disappointing when you talk about Dow 40,000. Why? Because if we go back to 1900, when the Dow first started, uh, for the most part, and, and kind of track history, what you've been promised all these years is you're going to get a 6% annual rate of return out of investing in the markets. If you just simply invest in the market, you're going to get 6% annualized, right? The power of compounding. This is what you're always told. Most powerful source in the universe is compounding. And that's what you're going to get by investing in the market. You're going to get 6% a year. Here's the problem. That if the Dow compounded at 6% a year since 1900, it wouldn't be at 40,000. It would be at 700,000. The problem is these very long periods of time where you lose 30, 40, 50% of your money and then spend several years getting back. That's what destroys that power of compounding over time. And so while Dow 40,000 certainly sounds awesome, the problem is, is that if you would have gotten true compounding, but a lot more. So again, this, these are all the kind of myths and the things that go into finance over time that, you know, look, headlines are great. And when you start talking about Dow 40,000, Sounds awesome. But the problem is there's always an eventual payback. And that's what nobody ever tells you, right? Nobody ever tells you about the eventual payback. And the problem is, is that when the eventual payback comes, everybody will then tell you, well, you should have seen it coming. We were trading it, you know, record valuations. Why didn't you know, right? This is what the media will tell you, right? All the, all the gurus on TV says, oh, yeah, we saw it coming. Really, because you didn't tell anybody prior. <laughs> this is and this is the problem that actually comes down to investing. So, uh, real quick, as we get into the markets for today, look, markets remain very elevated here from long-term means. We've talked about this; nothing really new or different here. Uh, the interesting antidote to all of this, though, is the reopening trade. So, yesterday we had CPI come out talking about inflation. Very strong spat of inflation yesterday. 
is almost all used car prices. About 30% of that number yesterday was used car prices. And again, a lot of price gouging in used cars right now because of lack of inventory. So it's really kind of that reopening uh, situation. We've got the supply chain disruption. We got prices soaring in some areas of the markets like used car prices and rent. Uh, those kind of lifting inflation. That's very temporary. Likely we have just seen the peak of that inflationary kind of spike here over the next few months. But again, one of the things that you should be seeing perform a lot better here is small cap because again if we're truly in a reopening trade right uh this should be the point that you really start to see small cap mid cap really outperforming because this is and if the economy is truly on this growth trajectory that's going to be sustainable at five six seven percent real economic growth whatever it is small cap should be screaming because they're the biggest beneficiaries of that that is not the case actually small caps and mid caps really underperforming here money's been hiding back here into large cap stocks and again that's really more indicative of a deflationary trade a deflationary mindset in the economy and watch the yield curve the yield curve is starting to flatten even more and that suggests that likely we're going to have weaker economic growth and inflation later on this year be right back after the break with Danny Ratliff don't go away you're listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I want to be the very best like no one ever was. And welcome back to the show this morning. Danny Ratliff joining me uh, live from his back cave. Morning. <laughs> morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you. So uh, a couple of things here as we kind of get underway. So I was kind of talking a little bit about this uh, during kind of the opening segment is that retirees are starting to look at cryptocurrency potentially as a way to bail themselves out of under saving for retirement. What do you think about that? You know, I'm always going to give you the real boring answer when it comes to this, Lance, <laughs> because it's, it hasn't changed, right? I mean, I think that cryptocurrency is one of those things where, you know, it's kind of like Vegas money. If you're ready to go out there and you, you understand the risks that are involved, but you're only going to take enough that you're comfortable coming home with nothing, I think you should be okay. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be the case here, investing in cryptocurrencies, but there's so much speculativeness that it's just difficult for somebody who's on the brink of retirement to put something into a quote-unquote currency, which nobody's actually using it as such or using it as a speculative investment, um, to fund retirement. And this is the same adage where we see people who are so close to retirement, just like you talked about last segment, who say, I have to make up for lost time. And they're going to put funds into investments that, you know, typically they don't turn out how we hope. And maybe they do. But the issue is, when do you take your chips and run, which many people have a difficult time doing? Right. That's why, I mean, look at Vegas. It's so big. I well, mean, and, you know, and this is what I was saying earlier is that, you know, this is, you know, this is how things like Bernie Madoff actually wind up 
becoming a thing, right? Because when you start cranking out 12% annualized rates of return, at least that's what you report, right? It doesn't have to be real. You just have to report that. Um, People start just throwing money at you because like, wow, this is a can't lose thing. And, And that's what, you know, happens in more speculative phases of the market now everybody's just like look i don't need to really work that hard or save that much because my money's growing so fast in my investment account you know i can undersave and and make bad investment decisions and chase risk with no consequence and this is really one of the the problems that the feds created as well as this moral hazard which you know the 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 actual definition of moral hazard is having an insurance policy against risk that's what moral hazard is so essentially i can tell you that you know uh, kind of a, an easy example of this is you go to vegas you walk into vegas and and as you walk into the casino the guy at the door says hey by the way your first thousand dollars that you lose here are covered by the casino so don't worry. So, and you go in, right? So I got a thousand dollars. I can blow. I'm gonna go play blackjack. I'm gonna go play poker. Whatever I'm gonna do, and I'm and I'm gonna bet big, right? Because I can win big. And if I lose, I've got no loss. The problem though becomes is that you're gonna run through that insurance, right? Because you lose the thousand, and it's like, okay, well, I'm still gonna gamble some more. And then all of a sudden, it's in your pocket. And that's what moral hazard is, is this belief there's an insurance policy by the Fed, and there really isn't. It's just a psychological premise of what the Fed is doing, and it doesn't preclude a market crash just because the Fed's doing QE. Just because it hasn't happened yet with them doing QE doesn't mean it can't, right? No, that's a very good point, because I think we all get the illusion that the Fed has our back, and they have – at least, at the, like you said, the illusion of it over this period of time. But, you know, let's face it. The Fed's not there for you and I. The Fed's there for the banks. Right. And, you know, and, and to keep things And BlackRock. And, and let's not forget BlackRock when we call the banks, of right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> well, banks, big financial institutions. Uh, but that's that's the main thing behind all of this. So I think that it's so important to understand that at some point the Fed will have to change policies. And that'll probably be sooner rather than later at some point, right. you would think. Now, maybe not. I don't know. Well, That's a million dollar question. Well, it is. And of course, you know, the, the, the multi trillions. And of course, you know, yeah. now this is, you know, this is, you know, also part of what, you know, the Fed is involved in now is this whole idea about, you know, climate change. And they're really expanding their uh, capacity into moving into other areas outside of just inflation and employment. Right now, they're worried about climate change and wealth inequality and all these type of things, right? These social these social ideas. And now the Democrats want to pass this three and a half trillion dollar, uh, you know, budget um, coming up. And that's going to be on top of the normal budget. Right. So now you're talking they, they disguise this. They say oh, it's just three and a half trillion dollar budget. No, it's three and a half trillion on top of the other five trillion you need just to fund everything else. So you're talking about a massive budget to get passed here to fund all these social agendas. Right. The uh, climate change initiatives and social welfare initiatives. Those are all required debt issuance, and that's going to be falling directly on the Fed to monetize almost all that debt. Um, And that's going to be a a real conundrum for the Fed. If we are at full employment and you do have inflation to some degree, uh, the Fed's going to get in a tough spot of having to monetize this debt that we're trying to issue. Well, that's right. I mean, you wonder where they're getting their information from on climate control anyways. I mean, you know, are we still looking at the, the sand and the dirt that's in Oklahoma? Or are we, yeah. um, you know, it, it, that's what's so frustrating about a lot of this is we actually, and look, I'm all for, for doing better for the environment. Right. But we already do better than most countries. And yeah. unfortunately, we're subsidizing many other countries, and that's that's a problem with our debt. Right. 
Well, and this is always kind of the, the other issue. But all right, but but back to this idea about retirement replanning and and kind of this this problem that a lot of retirees are running into. Look, I mean, you know, if you're listening to the show, you probably have money invested in the markets, right? Because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to the show. And, and we appreciate you being here. Um, but a large chunk of Americans, you know, about 80% are living paycheck to paycheck. They're not listening to financial shows, right? They're getting, right. Uh, they're getting their information off of YouTube and TikTok at this point to invest. Well, they were. TikTok's now banning all their financial services. Um, but you know, they're just more worried about trying to make ends meet and trying to live paycheck to paycheck. And not surprisingly, they took a poll out just recently and they said, would you be supportive of the government giving you another check? Surprisingly, 60 percent of people said, yeah, I'd love to have another check from the government. Of course. <laughs> You know, it's like surprisingly, surprisingly. Right. I mean, actually, I'm surprised it wasn't a whole lot more like 80 percent or 100 percent. You know, OK, yeah. give me free money. Um, and I think it, is, it depends on who you ask. Right. But, you know, it's kind of like asking people, hey, would you like free food? Of course, <laughs> as long as it's good. Or are you asking the people that are eating it or the people that are buying and cooking it? Exactly. Let's see. That's exactly that's exactly the point. So but, you know, there's this there's this problem that exists uh, for retirees and it's not really. And it, here's what's interesting is that this problem for retirees, we've had one of the longest bull markets on record, one of the largest and the largest bull market on record. And you still have 80 percent of people living paycheck to paycheck. It just goes to tell you that really that many people don't participate in the markets. No, they, they don't. And unfortunately, we've seen those numbers, you know, daily in, in you know, just in our retirement planning. You know, there are a lot of people who, like we just talked about, trying to catch up just because of lost time. I mean, look, life happens and we always think that things are going to get better. We're optimistic. And sometimes that's just not the case. While we've had this market that has been great, there are many people living paycheck to paycheck because, one, we've been through a handful of different types of recessions um, and maybe not a whole global recession. We've had industry specific i mean especially here in houston you look at the energy industry back in 14 and 15 um, we look at many different sectors you've actually seen it kind of flow through different areas at different times which have really you know slowed people down so people weren't the accumulators that they once thought they were and they're all trying to play catch up and this is a big part of the whole retirement plan and you know looking at how can people get to where they need to be and what we're seeing right now is that many, many people are having to make major changes to lifestyle just to make the, make sure that they're going to meet those needs in retirement. And that's a difficult thing to do. That's one thing that that's probably the most difficult conversation for an advisor to have with a client. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, though, but it, and, and we're talking about, you know, retirees also. But if you take a look at, you know, where baby boomers were at the age of 40 versus, you know, Gen X and millennials at the age of 40, you know, there's a vast difference. At the age of 40, boomers had a lot less debt and more net worth in terms of income and savings than either Gen X's or, or millennials at the age of 40. In fact, you know, what Gen X's and millennials have at the age of 40 is a lot more debt than they have everything else. And, you know, and I understand this, right? It's, it's you know, the, the cost of living and the cost of housing and all that's gone up, but it's also decisions that, you know, we've got to be responsible for our own decisions. And if we're living well beyond our means, and again, you know, there's the, the, and we saw this really kind of come up with Gen X's and with millennials, this whole idea of YOLO, right? You only live once. 
Um, and so we're going to spend, you know, I don't want to just spend, you know, just do all my time saving for, you know, something 30 years down the road. I got to live my life today, but there's consequences for that. And, you know, the, the, the consequence and, and this been, look, this has been facilitated by the banks providing easy credit, um, getting people into houses really they can't afford. And yeah, you know, I can buy a 350 or $400,000 house with 50,000 a year in income or whatever it is, because the bank will loan it to me doesn't mean it's a smart idea. Um, yep. Because we always forget about all the other stuff. It's not just the mortgage. It's the, the homeowner's insurance and the taxes, the maintenance, the upkeep, all that other stuff. So millennials and Gen Xs have been lured into this idea that debt is okay um, and because we can just pay it off over time. But just because debt's cheap doesn't mean it's a good thing to have. Well, that's exactly right. But the problem is that with this cheap debt, everything has become more expensive. So we've seen that inflationary push because of, you know, the handful of reasons. I mean, things we've seen here recently. But looking back, I mean, you can't go get a starter home for one hundred twenty five thousand. Right. You know, you're, you're looking at closer to 200 now. So people are getting priced out. What where, where's the end of that? What's going to happen there? And the problem is now people are so in debt. They're in that that starter home. They're not going to be able to get out of it. They're going to be upside down right. at some point. Well, they're, but they're not even buying. But the other problem is you can't buy a hundred and twenty, hundred fifty thousand dollars starter home because nobody wants them, right? Uh, if I've got a cheap, again, going back to this idea, I, you know, when you go to a realtor to buy a house, they go to show you what do they show? What's the first house they show you? Okay, my budget's two hundred thousand. The first house they show you is four hundred thousand. Two fifty. Yeah, it's like, but I can get you into it, right? Because you do an eighty twenty split, whatever it is on your mortgage, and we get, and and the, but the idea is though is that you know that's a big difference between what boomers were getting into. When boomers were buying houses, they had to have twenty percent down. There was no two two mortgage split. You got you had to put twenty percent down. You had to get the mortgage, um, and rates were high, so it really impacted how much house you could buy, and it really changed the dynamic of of how they manage debt. And it's been a very different scenario for millennials and Gen Xs now, uh, and it's also a big function of marketing and media, right? You know, why wait till tomorrow when you can put it on credit today? This is, and, and look, interest rates are low, so why not borrow the money? It all sounds great until you realize you're you know neck deep in debt and you don't have the income to sustain it. Be right back after the break with Danny Ratliff. to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, 
You know, it's interesting right now, thousands are protesting in Cuba. We talked a little bit about this yesterday over, you know, the economic environment and, of course, healthcare and just a variety of, of problems. And it's interesting because uh, just recently, the Wolf of Wall Street um, was commenting back to a young individual talking about socialism, right? And he's like, you know, if you, if you don't like socialism, you know, move to Venezuela, right? Because, um, and, and you got to be careful with with saying stuff like that because Venezuela is a, a very unique situation in and of itself because of uh, a variety of things that happened. They were big oil producers. The government took over oil production, and then there were sanctions put on the country, and um, you know, just a variety of other things. So there's some unique things that go with Venezuela. So it's 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 not a a it's not a terrific example of the perils of socialism, Cuba is a very good example of the perils of communism and what happens there. So, you know, the, the point, though, is, is that there's clear, you know, problems with governing, you know, having a, a government-controlled society, and it doesn't create for better economic prosperity. And here's the thing that's important. Uh, and when you take a look at what's happening in Cuba in particular, and this is this is all around the world, by the way, it's not just Cuba, it's just more prevalent there. You know, it's not that socialism is bad, right? You can have a socialistic society and it'll operate, right? And But there's a difference between creating wealth and prosperity and socialism, and in socialism, you, you still have the wealth gap. The wealth gap gets worse under socialism. Those at the top of the ladder are, are vastly more wealthy than those at the bottom of the ladder. And predominantly, those at the bottom of the ladder are all generally poor. There was a great comment recently about China. And the, the gentleman said, it says, you know, China just instituted some capitalistic motives and it lifted people out of poverty and it's true and that's the whole point you know yes capitalism and, and the rest of his point was it also created a wealth gap okay so and and by having capitalism engaged in china that created this wealth gap between the rich and everybody else yes it does that that's what capitalism does it creates wealth for those who takes advantage of capitalism. But the point is, is that prior to injecting capitalism into the communist society, everybody was poor, right? Everybody was equally poor. And so, yes, it lifted some people out. These capitalistic objectives lifted some people out of poverty, which is what capitalism does. And it does well when it's left to work in that manner. So, again, this is, you know, as we start talking more about, you know, a three and a half trillion dollar spending package to create more socialistic policies in the country. It's not going to create the economic prosperity that we're promised, right? It will lead to more debts, more deficits, lower economic growth, and a greater disparity between those with money and those that don't have money. And even though we give people money, all that happens is so I'm gonna look, I'm gonna give you thirty five hundred dollars a month for childcare. Great. Childcare now costs four thousand dollars a month. That's what will happen. Inflation will come up and absorb everything the government's giving you because that's what happens when you recycle tax dollars. Okay, so sorry about that, but there's a quick sideline. But you know, the whole there's a big headline on Cuba this morning and got me fired up. Sorry. 
Well, Lance, did you actually see that people, there's there's actually Cuban-Americans now who are looking to go back to Cuba because they want to join the fight um, yeah. there in Cuba. It's pretty interesting if you read it. I mean, you talk about a story of people for years coming from Cuba to America, and now you have people who are saying, I want to go back with my family and, and protest. Right. Um, you know, and you're right, the wealth disparity will continue, and we see that here just with, you know, look, we are a very capitalistic society, yet we do have some socialistic aspects to it already. Right. Um, you know, we do have a lot of, you know, these systems in place that do help people. They raise people up. I mean, talk about the child tax credit, which actually starts tomorrow. Um, you know, we're going to roll that out. So, you know, like you just mentioned for child care, people who, you know, historically haven't received a lot are going to be getting a lot more from a child tax credit. It will be refundable now, and they're going to pay half of it on a monthly basis. This adds up to quite a bit. You talk about an inflationary push here where you are going to see, um, you know, child care begin to increase. I would suspect you're going to see a lot of these things that the parents pay for uh, start to go up in cost. This is going to be the root cause of it, I think, not mm-hmm. just the other inflationary supply and demand part. Right. Exactly. And, and look, but this is all part and parcel of of what we've got to go through. This is just part of the cycle we have to go through and something that we'll deal with as we continue to move forward. And Again, these things all sound great on the surface, but again, they just never quite work out that way because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, you can't create artificial demand because inflation will absorb it. That's that's the whole problem with just giving people money. So I take from those that have money, I give it to those that don't have money, and then inflation takes care of all the rest. Uh, so it well, it doesn't really solve any problems at the end of the day. That's right. Peter on our YouTube channel. So go to our YouTube channel, check it out, The Real Investment Show. He actually just brought up a good point. He said, look at student loans. And now college costs a fortune because everybody can go. Right. And and then, oh, go get that basket weaving degree. And then we'll give you another one for, you know, French history. And you know, we'll, we'll keep on going with this, right? Yeah, well, no, but I think that's a great point about student loans. And I don't think a lot of people really realize what happened with student loans. Prior to 2008, you had to go to a bank and you actually had to qualify for a student loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, student loans were about $500 billion altogether um, at that point. That was after decades and decades of providing student loans to people. So, yeah, you could go, go to, when I was in college, right, you could go and get, you could have to apply for it. You have to qualify for it. And, and it had, there was a lot of factors that went into whether or not you could even get a student loan. And student loans just weren't for you know, an unlimited amount. There was a very finite amount that you could actually qualify for. In 2008, the Obama administration said, hey, you know what? The government's going to take over the student loan issuance. And so two things happened, right? So when the government took it over, they said, hey, you want a student loan? Here you go, right? We'll just send it out. How how much you want? You want $100,000 for a basket weaving degree? There you go. And started giving money out lists left and right. So student loans doubled over the course of just the next few years. But of course, what happened is that colleges said, wait a minute, the government's giving out free money for college? My tuition is going up. And so tuition went up because the government, whenever the government gets involved in doing anything, um, prices are going to go up. This is why when the government buys a hammer, you know, the old story about the $300 hammer for the spaceship, right? Whenever the government is involved, prices go up because the government has no controls over their spending. 
And this is always the very interesting way that, that our government manages money. Instead of taking in, you know, people bidding on a project and doing all these type of things and going with the lowest cost provider, those type of things, you know, we just send out money. And, and now it used to be millions and it became billions. Now it's in trillions and we don't really think about it. It's just like, hey, let's throw a trillion dollars at, you know, this or that. Great. No problem. It's just a trillion dollars, right? No big deal. It's all in debt, but that's okay because it's just debt, it's it's not anybody's real money. Oh well, yeah, taxpayers have to pay it back. <laughs> yeah, but they're not paying for it, so it's even better in their it's aspect, better, right? Better, absolutely. But, the, but that's why. But, the but that's about, why. But that's why college tuition went through the roof, because again, when the government was involved sending out free money, tuition said. I mean, colleges said, great. Now they're charging four or five times the rate for a degree that it used to cost. Uh, if you want to solve the st- the college costs, right, get the government out of doing student loans, send it back to the banks, and all of a sudden, guess what will happen with tuition? It'll drop like a rock because, yes, yes, initially, people won't be able to afford to go to college because they can't get a student loan to do it. But colleges are very quickly going to go, I want to, I, I need tuition. I got to stay in business because a lot of these colleges are private and tuition will drop like a rock. It'll take about six, eight months to a year. So, yes, for about a year, people won't be able to go to college. But in about a year, guess what will happen is that tuition will drop 30, 40, 50 percent and you'll be able to go to college a lot cheaper. But that's just the way economics works. Well, that's that's one of those things that nobody wants to go through. Nobody wants to go through any type of austerity or any any period of waiting for anything. Right. You got to have it now. People out here, Lance. Come on. I mean, I got it now. We should do it. Exactly. 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 Okay. Anyway, uh, I uh, we we I sidelined you there on that, uh, but uh, good point. Um, so you had a couple of topics to get into this morning that there were of importance. So when we come back from the break, we'll hit on those topics as well as uh, uh, I'll check the uh, our question stream and see if there's any questions we need to get into after the break. Sound like a deal? Uh, real quick here though, you do have a candy coffee coming up this weekend. Or is it next weekend? No, not this not this weekend, the following weekend, July following 24th. Weekend. We're talking a little bit about financial independence. Obviously, always taking your questions, try to keep these pretty candid. I do think Rich actually got a little bit excited about this one and put some things together here. So it may not be as candid as usual, but uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get them off of those here pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But what's what's the is it just kind of the the general funk, uh, kind of the the general uh, kind of flux of capital of uh, financial independence, just kind of the rules to get there, or what's the focus? Yeah, it's going to be real basic. I mean, typically we like these candid coffees to be more like office hours, Lance. So really, you know, anybody comes in, shoot us a question. We want to answer it off the cuff. You kind of get a real unbiased answer and you get one that, um, you know, so it's just really personal. And that, that's the way we've intended these to be. Uh, like I said, Rich put a little bit of some things together for this one. <laughs> it's going to be really good, though. He has some good points. Uh, and financial independence, right? We're in the month of July. Talk about July 4th and independence. I mean, why not, right? Well, well we still have it anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> so long as we're still independent. Time to talk about it. Uh, all right, look, quick break. We'll come back. We will uh, get to a couple of topics Danny needed to cover with you this morning. Also, take your questions and comments. So stick around. More of the Real Investment Show coming up. Don't go away. You pay. 
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestment.com. Advice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Danny Ratliff joining me this well, certified financial planner. And uh, I've got we've got a few comments, uh, not really any questions this morning on our chat window. But uh, if you want to join our live stream chat, you can always do that. Simply go by our, our YouTube channel, um, jump into the YouTube show when we're streaming live, get into the chat box with everybody else, ask your questions and comments. I'm also, as and again, as we talked about yesterday, we're also working on a community group page as well and so that's something we'll be trying to roll out later this year um that way you can bug danny all the time uh, with stuff so um danny had a couple of topics to get into this morning yeah speaking of topics i want everybody i want to put this out here i noticed how lance you know we used to get into these topics like second and third segment and now you keep pushing me further and further back to the fourth yeah i'm actually um, gonna try to get you into the fifth segment before long <laughs> hey man you know i can sleep in that's fine uh <laughs> No, all good. I, I, I kid because I know Lance loves financial planning, but there are some big topics out there right now that, that I do think are important. You know, we talked about inflation, and, and there's been a big push within Social Security. In fact, Social Security Commissioner was actually just let go or fired because he would not resign here this last week. I guess he wanted to collect his unemployment benefits. Um, so this is going to be some potential big changes, especially in light of what the pandemic did. You know, we know Social Security solvency, where there's going to be a reduction in benefits here in 2035. The numbers were pre-pandemic. I'm interested to see what those numbers look like, you know, post-pandemic um, in the regard to, you know, funding. Obviously, we had to be much, much less with many people out of work last year. So this is really important, depending on who they put in there, what's going to actually occur. There's a big change in the Social Security, not just with who's heading it, but they're actually finally going to do something that may be good. So currently we use CPIW for the inflation aspect of what they do for COLA or cost of living adjustments. They're making a push right now to do CPIE, which is going to be more in line with what the elderly spends. Sorry, guys, or seniors, quote unquote, <laughs> um, spend on you know, what their daily living. And so the coal is a very important aspect of it and actually one of the best parts of Social Security, because like many, unlike many pensions that are just set and over years, they're actually, um, you know, they're not nearly as beneficial because. 20 years ago, that $1,000 that you received was great, but today it may not have nearly the impact that it once did. Having that cost of living adjustment is great. Also, as we continue to see our population with our aging demographic, this is going to be a very important topic because we need to keep up with those costs that you know, typical seniors do experience. So some really good news out of Social Security. Um, you know, another thing that we talk about, so this kind of goes in point with what you were discussing, Lance, in regard to, um, you know, people have been so speculative. And looking at how do we make up for lost time? How do we switch those gears to, you know, a lot of this is psychological. And, you know, while we see a lot of these topics and headlines, you know, dealing with people day in and day out, 
I can tell you this, there's a lot of people out there that are still doing very smart things that are doing a lot of, you know, they're, they're making those hard decisions. And I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, the people that are listening to our show, Lance, or that are, you know, that we talk to on a regular basis. Now, I think there's always some room for some of these things. So don't take it that, you know, we hate cryptocurrency. Um, we just think that you need to understand the risk and understand exactly how that fits into your big picture, your portfolio. And that's the important part. But the other aspect of this is as we've we've shifted such a gear here recently, it seems like where everybody says returns, 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 right? Everything's going great. Markets have been, we're getting back to all time highs, 35,000, 40,000. You know, we look at these massive numbers. We get a day that, you know, is less than a 1% drop in the Dow and people freak out. What's going to happen when people start to be a decumulator, when you actually need to distribute funds instead of accumulate? That's going to be another large aspect. We're finding that psychological impact has been you know, substantial. And so, Lance, talking about, you know, we get a lot of questions on YouTube. We had a question about where do you go with fixed income? Um, how do we look at that? You know, you've had to take a different approach from portfolio management perspective in regard to, you know, portfolios and saying, OK, where do we go just to recreate a paycheck? And so we're having to start to think outside of the box. And really, I think people are becoming more and more accustomed to looking at different avenues, different types of investment products. And I think it's important to understand that it's not a one size fits all. And historic, you know, the old school modern portfolio theory and investments are just way different than what they used to be. <laughs> I figured I'd catch you where you're at. <laughs> So I'm, I'm rising. I'm just rising, Danny, a bit in the in the chat window this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, uh, a couple. Oh, of <laughs> we check this. You now you know. <laughs> sorry, I apologize. Just so if you're driving, if, I'm sorry if you're driving in the car. It's become an inside joke now. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny part is you're doing it as me. I know, right? <laughs> so anyway, I'm just oh, easy. Let, let, <laughs> it, no, it's, it's, all, it's all good stuff. Let's get to a couple of questions here before you run out of time or top of the hour. So a uh, question was a, a little bit about um, bonds and kind of, you know, is there a, kind of a bond fund? The, the way to play bonds right now um, is with TLT. And the, the reasoning is, is that what TLT is telling you, right, yields are coming down about 1.4% on the 10-year treasury right now. And that's well below what economic growth and inflation is right now, right? So and why, are, why are yields so detached from economic growth and inflation? Because yields tell you where economic growth and inflation are going to down the road. Uh, corporate bonds don't work well in an environment where you have a deflationary pressure. Uh, in the economy. So you want to be in treasuries because that's where money's flowing to. It's a risk off rotation. And if you take a, if we do get a decoupling event in the markets at some point, uh, for whatever reason, the Fed comes out in September, says, hey, we're going to start, we're going to start, you know, tapering our treasury purchases, whatever it is. Um, what you'll see is it, you'll, you'll start to see corporate bonds, mortgage backed bonds, those type of things underperform. Um, and you'll see money flowing into treasuries for safety. So yeah, we have we have uh, like for instance AGG, which is the bond index. Uh, we have that on our watch list because it's part of our benchmark analysis. But where you want to be investing right now is something like TLT. Um, so Danny, I'll let you kind of weigh in on this thought. You know, the, this idea of debts, deficits. You know, this whole idea has that really kind of work out. You know, for a, a really overbought market. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think this is a this is one of those things that it's going to work out. It's just like when does the Fed stop? And I think that's the main that's the main player in the game at the moment. 
you know, right now there's still a lot of optimism in the markets, and I think people are feeling better. So for some time, you will see that spending. But, you know, to your point that you've made on a daily basis, that at some point, when does this become deflationary? Likely later in this year or probably the, the following year as we start looking at year-over-year numbers, they're not going to be nearly as strong as they once were. Maybe see supply chains smooth out quite a bit. And these jobs, what's happening? I mean, we're still seeing a, lot, a record number of jobs out there in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that we've accurately collected the data from really labor force participation rates. I mean, yeah. we know that. We know there's a lot of people who have fallen off the radar completely. I know personally a lot of them. Right. These are guys that are you know, in their late 50s, early 60s, were intending to continue to work. They threw their hands up and said, hey, I'm done. I, I just can't find a job. And they've, I mean, I know many of them who've sold their houses, mm-hmm. who've made major changes. Um, they've downsized. They've looked at their spending. And, you know, they're, they're happy with it now, right? They've, they've came to grips in reality. And, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, our perception is different many, in many times throughout our life as far as what we need and what we want. And for some people, this, this was actually maybe a blessing in disguise. And it, it allowed them to go ahead and de-stress and declutter and mm-hmm. uh, minimize things. And you know, maybe that was good. But, you know, to get to your point, who knows when the wheels come off? Because I think we could make the argument for quite some time. And that's the biggest question that we receive from Lance, right? Okay, right. you know, number one, how much do I need to retire? Number two is when do the wheels fall off? We could make arguments that the wheels are going to fall off years ago. Right. I mean, but they've continued to pump. They've continued to pump. And at some point, they will. But to what extent and, and when does that occur? You know, we, we visit with a lot of people say, I've been out of the market. I'd like to get back in. Um, but markets are at all-time highs. Well, I mean, we could have said that 2018, 2019. I mean, there's been a lot of times that we could have had the same discussion, and we've missed out. So nobody truly knows. And that's the big thing. You know, you turn on CNBC – why do they always have two or three people up there? Because they want them arguing. And everybody walks away really confused. And, and so if anybody tells you they know exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, they're full of it. Because yeah. the Fed will surprise you. Just like during the pandemic, I mean, they swooped in and, and did things actually very quickly, which enabled things to turn around you know, probably quicker than they should have. Right. Well, and again, this is, you know, this is part of what we talk about in terms of portfolio management as well is that you know, it's great to have these long-term views. And yes, you know, we can talk about you know, the the impact of debts and deficits long term on the economy, what's that's going to mean for stock market valuations and uh, what do stock market valuations right now mean for returns over the next decade? Well, it means that you're going to have basically zero to two percent returns in stocks over the next 10 years. That doesn't mean that you should be invested in the markets because you're not going to make 2% every year. You're going to have 10% year, 15% year, a 5% year, an 8% year, and then a down year of 30 or 40%, and then an up year of 15, 20, 15, 10. And at the end of 10 years, you'll look back and go, wow, my return for that 10-year period was only 2%, which is exactly what it should be. But again, you don't know when that crash is coming. Is that crash going to come you know, in the front of the cycle or at the end of the cycle? But over the next 10 years, what valuations tell you, particularly when you were trading at two and a half times market cap to GDP. The the stock market is priced for two and a half times what the economy can actually generate in terms of earnings and revenue. It's just not sustainable. Price to sales at 3.3 times, right? It's just um, we're trading at far more revenue than companies are actually generating. Revenue is actually going to fall over this quarter as well. We're going to have lower rates of revenue this quarter, even though we'll have surging rates of, of earnings growth. 
And of course, that just means we're gonna increase that multiple even more. So it doesn't mean that something's gonna crash today, but what it means is you're gonna eventually have a reversion in the markets back to normality at some point, and you just don't know when it is. And to Danny's point, we can't time it. So we have to manage money for what the markets are doing now, navigate it the best we can with an eye on the risk that is potentially out there to try to navigate to the downturn. Danny, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it as always. Um, we'll be back tomorrow for the Thursday edition. Uh, Mike Leibowitz will join us tomorrow. We've got to go through the Fed minutes and what they've kind of where they're focused on and what we're expecting, you know, kind of coming up for Jackson Hole, uh, which is just right around the corner. We'll get to that with uh, Mike Leibowitz tomorrow. In the meantime, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the YouTube link. Make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel if you're not already. And uh, also get subscribed for our newsletter. Our latest blog posts are out and more. Always feel free to ask questions and comments as well at the website. Simply click the Ask a Question button. We answer those every single day. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Realinvestmentadvice.com.